0: Once again, like I said, we're moving ahead by several chapters to a point in the story where Job has concluded his uh, sort of monologues with God and with his friends. He's, he's listened to his friends, he's responded to his friends, and he's kind of given up on trying to change their minds, but he's, he's spoken his mind to God now. And there are two what we call theophanies or experiences of God's presence in, 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 in a real sense. God came to the room and sat down in the chair with him, so to speak. And that's what we call a theophany. And, and there are these two conversations, basically, where Job has spoken his mind and then God speaks God's mind. And... These I've often interpreted and read in a way that sounds like God's putting him in his place, you know, like it's, a, like it's a dressing down. But lately I've begun to think of it a little differently. And so what I think has really happened here is that the, we've got to recognize the critical element is the friendship that exists between God and Job. The intimacy of their relationship is unique. That's what this whole story seems to be about on a more subtle level is that Job's friends interpret God one way, but Job interprets God another way. And Job is utterly mystified by this experience of God because it's inconsistent with everything he's ever known in his relationship with God. So that last week when we were talking, I said that he reminded me of Jesus because he had this moment of why why have you forsaken me i've always had this intimate relationship with you and now i feel sort for sort of forsaken by you but then job like jesus says nevertheless into your hands i commend my spirit and so now job is is kind of he's trying to he's trying to get god to engage god in the debate um i have to admit that it's it's been a tactic of my own since i was a small child to We've had a little theme in our, our various conversations this morning. Several of us have talked about how children are pretty, pretty much revealing character traits and personality traits at very early ages that will be there throughout their lives. And I can tell you from a very early age, I've always pushed buttons to see if I can get the conversation to go where I want it to go. It's been my nature since I was a little kid. I, and uh, I can tell you that in my prayer, I've probably done a few things that I see Job doing in the passages leading up to today's reading where we kind of see Job sort of pushing God's buttons, trying to provoke a response from God, trying to get God to say something because he's he's in a relationship with God that is like our relationship with our immediate family. It's not like we're gonna give up on each other. It's not like we're gonna just bail on them completely. We We just want resolution. We want this thing that, has been sort of a, a void between us to be resolved somehow. And, and so Job starts pushing buttons until God finally replies. And Job's, Job's bordering on questioning God's character, which is, as you probably recall, the very essence of sin. It, it, he's bordering on it. He hasn't quite gotten there. There's some fascinating passages in Job that are fun to study at a different level, where he talks about creatures like leviathan and behemoth and that's really fun but for today's discussion i'll tell you that what he's saying in effect is is god there's an ordered universe and i believe you are the author of the order of the universe but you seem to be acting like one of those creatures from the chaos you're acting like one of those characters from the stories we hear before you brought order to the universe and what's interesting is is that God doesn't deny that, but what God does say in response is time out, Job. Do you not understand that I created all of it? That everything that exists God created, and the only difference is, is some of it is ordered by God and some of it is ordered by some other darker force. And in a very real sense, you can go back to Genesis and you can see how there was already a pre-existent world that was in chaos and God brought order to a certain part of the world and called it Eden. And it was a place where God had created a a kind of island of, of perfect refuge where God began a new thing. And so the traditions that Job and his culture have is that there is chaos and chaos creatures out there that are part of the old world of disorder and chaos and then there's god's created order or cosmos and job is accusing god of acting more like the chaos well that pushed god's buttons sufficiently to get a response and then job Says, okay, fine, then you created it. Why are you siding with them? Why are you acting like them and not like, you know, the order that you created? And God's buttons have been sufficiently pushed again so that God says, time out. You really don't understand, do you? And that's where we find ourselves at this point. And to his credit, Job does eventually figure it out. He does get it. So let's look at chapter 40 of Job now reading verses 1 to 14 and the Lord said to Job shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty he who argues with God let him answer it then Job answered the Lord and said behold I am of small account what shall I answer you I lay my hand on my mouth I have spoken once and I will not answer twice but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make, known to, make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, Job pushed the button and Job got the response. And the response was pretty simple. Job, I'm God, you're not. I mean, we could probably end right there. (laughs) but let's go ahead and take it a little further. <laughs> it's what you pay me for, right? I got, I got a few more minutes, I better keep going. So here's where I'd like to look at the human dimension first and, and what I've tried to do with this whole series is kind of look at the human side of it and then look at the, the, the uh, divine side of it to sort of look at it from both points of view. In our lives, Most of us relate carefully and thoughtfully to Job because at some level we've all had the same kinds of experience that Job's had. That doesn't mean any of us has suffered to the extent that he has, but we've all experienced this deep sense of injustice, haven't we? We can find many occasions in our lives when we've been done an injustice and it's stuck in our craw. It really starts when we're very little so it's funny that we were talking about small children today because little children find out pretty quickly for example when the toddler starts learning to walk and pretty soon the toddler is out there exploring the world that you've created for this little girl or boy sooner or later they'll they'll touch something or mess with something special and break it now at that age of two or three or four, why, they don't have the motor skills yet that we have as adults. It takes them a long time. They say it sort of starts with your brain stem and works its way out over the developmental years. And and so they just, they see something interesting and they handle it because they're exploring their world. And then because their motor skills are still undeveloped, they, they break things. But you know what happens, right? Especially if you're new at this parenting thing or grandparenting thing and you've got this little toddler in your house and suddenly you hear a crash and something's broken. You know what you do? You go, oh my goodness, and you react, right? You throw, you throw your hands in the air, you cover your mouth, whatever, and, you, and, and it terrifies this child, doesn't it? Now, as far as you're concerned, you're hoping they're not hurt and you're a little disappointed that something special got broken. But but in reality, what the child hears is, oh, my gosh, I've done something wrong and I'm getting yelled at. And psychologically speaking, it's certainly true that getting yelled at, especially when you're a small child, is about the same as getting slapped upside the head. A child child doesn't experience being yelled at any differently than they experience being struck. It's true. It's a scientific fact. It's a psychological burden we bear. In fact, they say that that when an infant comes into the world, there are only two fears that already exist. One of them is the fear of falling and the other is the fear of loud noises. So instinctively, children are afraid of loud noises. As soon as they hear someone yell at them, a soft, tender voice that's usually speaking gently to them suddenly goes, Hey! And it scares them. and and it sticks with them. And eventually they figure out that they don't have any idea what they did wrong, but they got in trouble. (laughs) And you know, then they grow a little older and they find themselves in grade school and they find themselves being punished for something they didn't do because some loudmouth in the corner of the room, that was me usually when I was in grade school, would, would get the whole class in trouble because that one wouldn't shut up and you're just sitting there minding your own business And suddenly you've done an injustice. You've been punished for something you didn't do. And then maybe you get older and you find that, you know, you drive around town trying to obey the traffic laws. And then you see one person after another speeding, running stop signs, doing all this kind of stuff. And they never get caught. And it feels unjust. Unjust. And so we've, we've got... Countless experiences of, a, of, of being outraged by injustice, don't we? All of us do. We can relate to Job because we think rightly that there is something just deeply unjust about what has happened to Job, at least from our way of thinking, even Job's way of thinking. And I would say that today, if Job were in the room, he'd be the better person of all of us. I'm willing to bet that if this guy was someone Job revered enough to put him up to the test of Satan, he probably would best all of us on the character department today. We could we could say if Job was in our church the rest of us were probably not quite as good a person as Job. And he had been dealt an injustice that didn't make any sense to him and he questioned God about this injustice. It is in our nature to want justice. Justice is something that we we desire so much that when we see injustice done to others, we try to fix it. I believe that's ingrained in us by the Lord God himself. In Micah uh, chapter 6, he says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So, This is a desire that is ingrained in us by our Creator, and yet, sometimes our Creator seems unjust. And so how do we deal with that as humans? I gotta tell you the truth, I've suffered over the years and and not really entirely dealt with it. I'm still, this this is a new reading of this concept for me even today, to understand that sometimes when I'm outraged by injustice, i got to find a way to process it because I probably won't be able to correct it. Sometimes people will draw certain conclusions about my motives, for example, and they will speak their uh, conclusions about my motives without actually ever confirming whether their, their conclusions are correct or not. And I feel as though an injustice has been done, and I'm outraged by that. And then I think, well, now, wait a minute. How can I possibly... Honor God in the way that I live my life if I'm so easily outraged by injustice. And so it's a, it's a struggle, really, isn't it, for all of us. Injustice is everywhere, and it even sometimes feels like it comes from our own Creator. So, how do we live a faith that is like Christ's and honoring the world or the, the, the Lord by treating the world the way Jesus treated the world? Um, He was dealt a few injustices, wasn't he? Some people really questioned his motives and were convinced they knew what he was really up to even when he had made it very clear who he was and what he was up to. And those people were so sure of their conclusions they had plotted several times to kill him and only when he decided it was time Would he allow their plots to be fulfilled? And they never changed their minds about him. And to tell you the truth, even today they haven't changed their minds about him because they're all the same kind of people, aren't they? They're the people who refuse to accept him for who he says he is, for who he has proven himself to be. And so the Lord has given us all the grace that God has to give. We have received this transformative grace that gives us forgiveness for sin and a new life in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit and all because we need it not because we deserve it not because we did anything to justify God's grace toward us through Jesus Christ and it all came at the cost of Jesus's dignity he suffered injustice He suffered the greatest injustice of all time. He took upon himself my sin. He took upon himself the punishment that I deserved. And this is the problem. Because we want justice and then when it seems like God is unjust, we get all confused and and misguided about it. There are a couple of ways we can look at this from the human and divine perspective. From the divine perspective, it would be wise to understand exactly what God said to Job. This is way bigger than you are. In fact, your place in my heart is very secure, but your place in the universe is very small. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. God says, your place in my heart is sure, but your place in the universe is very small. And God holds it all together. Scripture actually says the Lord Jesus holds it all together. That that when he ascended to heaven, he assumed the throne of God and now he's driving. Now he's in the captain's chair. And all of it is held together by our Lord who made it plain in today's reading that even that which seems like chaos to us is being held together by our Lord. And so from the divine dimension, we get the truth that we are subject to God's authority over all things. And while we may not think of God as being entirely just with us at times, it doesn't negate the fact that God has the prerogative to do whatever God wills. And we are subject to his authority because we have made ourselves so by submitting ourselves to salvation through Jesus Christ. So we've chosen to accept even those times when God doesn't make any sense. And what God wants us to know is, is even those who have completely ignored the message of the gospel, who have no agreement with us about these things at all, are also subject to God's authority. And that is inescapable too. So what's really going on with Job and what might really be going on with us? Have you ever heard of the stages of grief? I've talked with you about this grief thing a lot lately, so I wanna just remind you that grief is this emotional response we have to any sort of permanent loss, or a sense of permanent loss. So grief can occur when our little toddler, for the first time, talks back to us, right? You know, like the first time they stop acting like that sweet, innocent little child and they start acting like a holy terror, you know? They start cutting teeth or whatever, and suddenly they're going, no. And, and you have grief for a moment. Moms, you know what I'm talking about. And then, and then it, gets, it goes on and on. You drop them off at college, and you, know, you go through grief, and then you have job changes. Or, or if you're like me, you look in the mirror one morning, and you realize there's not really enough hair left up there to cut. And you go, oh. Or I had grief this week because my 87-year-old father had a heart attack. And I thought, well, he didn't die. But, but I had this thought, of, oh, my gosh, dad's 87. <laughs> and I'm 56. Oh, no. <laughs> Life has changed while I was busy doing it. And there's grief. Most kinds of grief, or most experiences of grief, I should say, are pretty normal and healthy, and we move through them pretty rapidly. We only temporarily experience the stages. But then there are other kinds of grief that are far more uh overwhelming and i'm not going to bring those up except to go back to job's story and recognize that grief has happened we've already acknowledged that in the previous conversations about job we've recognized that this man has experienced the most tragic losses any of us could imagine and he's gone through the stages of grief and those stages included some of the things we've already talked about, like his depression, that his friends didn't really respond to very well. But let's talk for a minute. Stages of Grief started out, it's a Kubler-Ross model, and so there was a time when this truth that's always existed was documented by some people and kind of became a thing in the academic world. And then it has grown into seven stages. Listen to these and see if you can relate to this, and think about Job in particular. Uh, the stages are shock and denial, pain and guilt, anger and bargaining, depression, the upward turn, reconstruction, and working through, acceptance and hope. Where do you suppose Job is right now in the process? He's coming out of depression and he's in that upward uh, move. You know, he's, he's in the place where he starts, you know, when, when he says, I'm putting my hand over my mouth and I'm shutting up. I read something interesting in a commentary this week that, that uh, putting, you, you'll see in, in uh, different reliefs and hieroglyphs and things like this from those days, you'll see characters portrayed with their hand over their mouth. And it's a kind of salute. You know, one kind of salute, the one that you're most familiar with, is the reveal that your hand is empty. It's, that's what salutes really came from. You know, when you, when you saluted somebody, you were raising your shield so they could see your face and recognize you. You were holding your hand open so they could see that you weren't planning to fight with them. And so that's a salute. But a greater, more humble form of salute is put your hand over your mouth. <laughs> Think about it. Imagine if your, your child realized that you were right. I know, I'm dreaming, but, but imagine that your child realized you were right and, and said, okay, Dad, I know I'm dreaming, but hey, it could happen. And, and the thing is, it's, it's what Job does at this moment. He says, okay, God, uh, I'm clear. And he puts his hand over his mouth. And, and this is both a figure of speech from his era and a literal statement of, okay, I've said too much, and I recognize it, and, and you shut up, and you listen. And that is his acceptance right there. From here on in the story of Job, you're going to see this turn, where he's going to come out of his funk, he's going to come out of his depression, he's going to gradually pull his life back together and carry on. And his relationship with God, though some questions are never resolved, remains secure. Because of that simple truth that he has accepted, which is, my place is secure in God's heart, but my place in the universe is pretty small. So get over yourself. That, that's essentially what Job is figuring out, and it begins to put him on the path of restoration there was one other point I wanted to make about that before I wrap this up and that was just to say that if you're having trouble with this concept let me take it to this level have you ever dreamed that you like your parents before you would say I told you so to your kid I mean, I know that when I was a kid, I vowed I would never, ever say that to my children. And then one day it slipped out of my mouth and I went. (gasps) Because I could not believe that I just said those awful words to my child because I said so. And then I realized in that moment, sometimes parents know things that children don't know. And you could try to explain it to them, but you'll find that isn't going to work very well. And it's better to just say because I said so that's what that's what God said to Job that day he said there's more going on here than you're able to comprehend so do me a favor just shut your mouth and do as I say (laughs) because I love you right parents you understand when you say because I said so that's not a lack of respect for your children that's a respect for who they are and their capability of understanding the big picture and you're just trying to make it clear to them that it's in their best interest to do as you say That's love. And so in love, God says to Job, because I said so, all right? Move on. So in these divine speeches of God to Job, we've seen that there's a great deal of love there. This is not a a relationship that, uh, well, I was gonna say it's not, it is a relationship. It's not like what Job's friends thought. Job's friend thought of God as a judge who was kind of a friend. Well, I mean, that's like saying, I've got a police officer who is a friend, sorta, of, because if I'm speeding through town and that friend pulls me over, I'm probably gonna be pushing the limits of that friendship if I, act if, if I expect him to be unjust or her, you know? So they look at God as a friend until God judges you, as a friend until, so it's not really a friendship so much as it is a passive aggressive kind of relationship with your creator. Job's got friendship with God. Job has an intimacy with God that would be best understood in terms of our intimacy with our loved ones and our family, our wives and husbands and children and so forth and parents. And this is what we see. In all of it, God reveals that Job is blameless. He's done nothing wrong, but he also reveals to Job that sometimes injustice happens even when you've done nothing wrong get over it because it's bigger than you and i can't make you understand what you don't have the capability of understanding yet and so eventually god gives job the authority to condemn or forgive his friends for their trans- their transgressions against him and god and he forgives them eventually god vindicates job by restoring job in a way that his friends can't deny And therefore, in the end, Job is seen as God had always known him to be, as a righteous and upright man, worthy of God's favor, but just as subject to the universe's complexities as any of us. I hope this gives you some peace as you confront your lives and realize that things happen all the time that are outside of our control, and we just got to roll with it. You know, let's pray. Oh God, we love you and we thank you for a word that gives us hope, that gives us a way of understanding how deeply we are loved and yet how small we are in this universe of yours. Lord, we thank you for your grace and love and intimacy and we ask your forgiveness for those times that we have spoken too rashly against you. Now, Lord, make us like Job, make us like our Lord Jesus in all that we do and say. For your honor, we pray. Amen.